An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top performing repair shops use, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me blows up your phones with a strategic combination of killer websites, high converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Conversations that are inspiring and educational for leaders in the automotive industry. This is Near Me Radio. Now, here's your host, Ryan Burton. Welcome to another episode of Near Me Radio. And today's show is part of the High Gear Auto Repair Marketing Conference Speaker Series featuring one of our presenters at the conference. I'm your host, Ryan Burton, and today's guest, high gear speaker, is media heavyweight, Steve Jones. Steve's journey is a symphony of passion, music, and business acumen. From his early days as a music-loving kid, Steve's heart was forever captured by the shattering glass sound that opened Billy Joel's Glass Houses album. Music became his driving force, but despite a rocky start as a musician, fate led him down the path of radio, where he honed his skills and eventually emerged as a respected figure in media management. But that was just the beginning of his remarkable journey. Steve's profound insights into the worlds of music and business culminated in his groundbreaking book, Brand Like a Rockstar, with an uncanny ability to bridge the gap between entrepreneurship and the art of rock and roll. Steve unravels the secrets of creating devoted fans for mere customers. His anecdotes draw from legendary bands and iconic songs, reveal the building blocks of business success hidden within the rhymes and melodies that we all love. In this episode, we'll dive deep into Steve's journey, his love for golf and scuba diving, and his unforgettable experiences at concerts like Pink's exhilarating live performance and his life-altering encounter with the Foo Fighters in a Roman Coliseum. Without any further ado... Let's welcome the man who's turned the stage of business into a harmonious symphony, Mr. Steve wow. Jones. How was that for an intro, my friend? That is the most poetic and uh, well-put-together intro I've ever had in, in many years of doing podcasts and onstage appearances. Tops, top shelf. Well, thank you. And coming from you, that is a huge compliment. And we also have to give props to my guy, Adam Springer here at Leeds Near Me, who helps prep these. So Adam had a lot to do with that. So props to Adam, but you deserve. You made me sound uh, noteworthy and important, and that's an accomplishment. So thank you. Well, I will tell you what, you kind of are, man. You kind of did it. You kind of pulled it off. You kind of made it. And let's start off by getting to know Steve a little bit. And I'll tell people in advance, I've known you for, I think, 30 years now. Is that correct? Is that about right? The early 90s? Late. You and I go back to the, uh, the mid-1990s. It's it been, been a long ride. A while. And, uh, as, and as the Grateful Dead said, a long, strange trip. <laughs> when they say that, we know what that means. Yes. And you know what? I, I actually was thinking about this the other day. Um, I was working for my 
my uncle at the time, who's no longer with us, God bless him, and uh, uh, my uncle Fraser Dougal at his radio stations, and you came over in an amalgamation. Do you remember you came into my yeah. uncle, you were with like New Cap Broadcasting, and there was this, um, that's the only reason I know that word. Do you remember that? Yeah, we got we got put into this strange amalgamation where in, in Canadian radio at the time, you couldn't own more than a couple of stations, and your uncle had the legal number he could own. Um, so our company sort of did this strange merger where he didn't own our radio station, but he kind of operated the radio station. And that was a big deal. And a lot of that happened in the 90s in the in the industry in the in the United States and Canada. And they've since been made um, illegal ish here in Canada because they were uh, they were pretty lucrative for the companies that did them. And I remember walking into that environment, met you there and all part of um one of my many, you know, when you say I've made it, uh, it's kind of funny because I think I made it by, in many ways, by just failing at a whole bunch of things. I mean, I, I you mentioned I was a failed musician. You, you, you know, you're quite an accomplished musician. I was, I was terrible. I took guitar lessons, piano lessons, sax lessons. I finally <clears throat> played drums well enough, and that's a stretch, but but well enough to play in a in a you know garage band, but. I was never good enough to to be that. So I found my way into media through radio and through, if I couldn't make the music, I could play the music. And I realized around the time we met that while I was capable of being on the radio, there were people around me who were so much better. And so I moved into sort of media management and I, I, I felt that I'd be better at coaching the people around me than trying to be better than them. And uh, that took me down an interesting path in Canada, the U.S., and then to the Caribbean for a couple of years to launch a few radio stations down in the Cayman Islands, and then came back to North America. and And that's when um, I was at I was at a uh, communications seminar in Austin, Texas. And one of the assignments was to write um, some sort of like a couple hundred word writing piece. And I was sitting on the patio that evening, sipping a Corona. Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville was playing on the speakers. And, you know, it's one of those 110 degree evenings in Austin that will very quickly become a 60 degree evening. Um, and and uh, as it cooled off, I was sitting there thinking, what am I going to write? Like, I just don't I have writer's block. And as Margaritaville was playing, I was thinking, uh, how did Jimmy get so rich off of one hit song? And, uh, of course, Jimmy, Jimmy left us recently. And I, I wrote... Uh, a piece called, you know, the business wisdom of the other Buffett, not Warren, but Jimmy. And people seemed to like it. And so I started writing more on, along the lines of uh, and blogging about how you can connect the dots between the music you love and 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 the, and the business success you strive for. And it, it, it became very clear to me really early on that the same tactics and strategies used by legendary performers and bands um, apply to businesses. It's funny to think about the summer of 1994 in Seattle. Jeff Bezos was in his garage formulating this company. He had this vision to sell things on the internet. He believed the internet could be the catalyst to generating sales. 18 miles away, Dave Grohl is in his garage with this idea for a new band. All these years later, Dave and the Foo Fighters, probably one of the biggest rock bands on the planet. 
and uh, Jeff Bezos, obviously one of the uh, wealthiest men on the planet. Um, these ideas we, we have for, for changing the world, whether it's through song or through service, start usually by yourself in a lonely place like a garage or a basement or a home office. And you've got this, in the case of the musician, a melody or, or, or a riff or a lyric banging around in your head. If you're, if you're an entrepreneur, you've got this idea banging around in your head and everyone around you thinks you're crazy. You're committed enough to sell your you know, entire life savings to get it off the ground. And it's amazing as you grow these things, whether it's a band or a brand, how aligned the strategies are. And that's, so that's where, that's where Brand Like a Rockstar took off. And, and since that book came out, I've spent a great deal of time uh, keynoting events like High Gear um, all over North America and around the world. And it's been a fantastic ride. Now, and of course, the books. So somebody's listening right now. We can go to Amazon, who you mentioned, right? We can connect yes. <laughs> connect some dots. We can go to Amazon, probably purchase brand like a rock star. And then isn't it start? There's a second book. Start yeah, me up. Start you up. Start you up. Start you up. Yeah. And start you up takes a similar approach to personal branding and personal brand development. So while brand like a rock star was written primarily for businesses and entrepreneurs, start you up was written more for the individual or for the uh, for the entrepreneur whose name is on the you know on the front door nice so backing up a little bit to where we are now so we have two really cool roles and first of all you were a fantastic <coughs> radio dj and radio announcer i mean well, i remember I've, I've been in the room with you on the radio before I've, I've heard you do your job and you were you were amazing at it i think we're all just built and designed to do things our natural propensities here i am we met as i was a radio dj at the time too that's when we met yeah and yeah. um that's what i was doing and by the way backing up to that amalgamation day what i was going to say as well is is um you very progressive very clearly going somewhere i mean there's no when i met a young steve jones maybe a little more hair maybe was there more hair yeah because we're kind of bald ish now baldish and yeah. it was more hair i seem to remember hair but maybe a memory i mean <laughs> i'm getting older i maybe remember it wrong but um i could just tell right away this guy was going somewhere but me i think maybe because my uncle owned the place i had more guts or something than anybody else i just like i saw him and i was like this guy he looks about the same age height and his, we look similar i'm gonna go talk to him and I think we were like the first to like to cross the line, you know, like very quickly, yeah. like day one. I'm like, hey, dude, what, what do you I need friends. What are you doing here, man? What's going on? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's awesome. It's very kind that you say that about me. Um, we all, you know, I guess everybody has their own path. And I kind of knew early on uh, what I wanted to do. I just needed to figure out how to do it. And all those little twists and turns along the way. Uh, brought me to a place where where I finally I think I figured it out, but I'm you know 53 now, and I'm hoping there's still more things to learn and figure out. It's it's over, Steve. We're done. This is yeah. this was. Did you not look yeah. at the expiry date on the birth certificate? <laughs> this is we get to live, but not really bullshit. We're going to create some awesome stuff here in the forward, but here in the future. But here's the deal. Let's frame up what you're doing now too, because first of all, Steve is in Canada. He's in Toronto. Uh, had an international career, still does, uh, speaks all over probably the world, but I'm going to say North America for sure, right? Yeah, so we're most all over North America, a lot, a lot in Europe, uh, but uh, here and there around the rest of the world too. Right. So all over the place, based in Toronto, and I'm I've been trying to explain, you know, who Steve is to various people. Is you know, I'm talking about high gear because I'm pumping it up, and I'm like, who's Steve? 
And, and, and here's the deal for those that don't know, Steve, um, he, you know, and I'm trying to explain your day job, right? Which you're like the VP yeah. of programming for Stingray Media, I think it's called. And, and Stingray yeah, so is a newer brand. But let me, let me finish this. Stingray is basically, and I still call it Clear Channel. I don't know if it's called that anymore. Or iHeart Media, yeah. whatever. But it, like the biggest radio group in Canada. And I think if I'm correct, you program like every station indirectly and directly in the entire country, including I think what is the biggest radio station in the country in toronto so this is a big deal day job steve could yeah, break the foo fighters yeah. now i think right pretty much well, right we we do have a, we have a lot of radio stations we have a lot of clout for sure um the other thing about stingray that's really interesting is that we're kind of the biggest company you've never heard of and you've heard us you've heard our work you just didn't know it was us uh if you walk into uh god i mean almost any business you hear music playing in the background uh, there's a division of our company that provides that around the world. You walk into CVS Pharmacy, you're hearing Stingray music. Um, you get in a Tesla, and there's a karaoke app built into all Teslas. That's a Stingray product. We are uh, around the world in all kinds of different distribution um, platforms sharing music with audiences. Uh, the difference is, you know, we're not Spotify or, or Apple Music. We're not public like that. We're more under the radar uh, B2B when it comes to how we share music. But depending on how you metric it, we are one of the largest distributors of music in the world. It's amazing. And this is Steve's day job. And then his part-time job is traveling the world and and talking about branding like a rock star. So let's make a few music correlations here. And I'm, I'm going to enter your dominion for a second. So I know music, sure. I know business. Um, I have some insight into this and I have some thoughts and feelings, but I haven't sat down and really formalized the thoughts. So let me get your thoughts on a few of them. So it's interesting because I'm finding right now, and this is a bear with me while I get to the point here. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to struggle, Steve, bear with me. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so I, I'm believing now that, and this is an awful thing to say, but the greatest music has already been recorded, okay? And it might be my age or something, but I really believe the real true spirit of music and what it what it can be and should be and would be is most of it's been recorded. So I'm going through these phases and finding different sort of gems in the past now that I overlooked back then, and maybe because of popularity or something and i'm digging things up and 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 looking at them differently because they were just recorded as as pieces of art and music and they're pretty darn good but got overlooked for a million reasons and just a quick example motley Crue's album with john karabi i think if i'm karabi whatever you say his name in 1994 when vince neal wasn't in the band it was produced by bob rock it was a gold-selling album, which in today's standards would be phenomenal if anybody could do that. So it actually sold some copies. I found myself, I tripped over it recently listening to it. And it's like, I mean, this is right after he did like the Black Album, Metallica, after he did Dr. Feel Good. But I mean, it's a really good album. You know what I mean? It's like really good. And it's interesting how the brand... This band identified early on, they went, hey, we're the brand of Motley Crue. We sold 50 million albums in the 80s or whatever it was. Here we are in the 90s. We can pull this off, this continuation 
of brand, how this is an organization, Motley Crue, and I know it sounds silly saying Motley Crue is a brand thinking about like oh, Vince, yes, very much. Vince Neal passed out on a floor somewhere or something, you know, right? I mean, like, cause that's what we think. Motley Crue, we can imagine Nikki Six falling over in the home sweet yeah. home video or something. But the point is, is they're a brand and how they leverage their brand through that. Now they didn't do it successfully like, um, like Van Halen did, for example, but another example, how they, they have a strong brand and they're able to change key players is that that kind of concept is that something you've addressed in um brand like a rockstar or some of your articles or do you have thoughts on that kind of thing yeah absolutely and it's a rare feat to be able to do it i think the key to it is having an incredibly strong brand with more than one touch point um so in the case of crew you've got it's an absolutely rock solid brand and as as much as vince neal was the face of the band, you know, Nikki Six was, and Tommy Lee and Mick Mars were all super high profile personalities. Same with Van Halen, you know, they were able to go from, 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 from Sam, from David to Sammy to, uh, Gary Sharon, Gary Sharon for a minute. Back to, yeah. <laughs> and then back to Sammy and Dave and off and on because everyone else in the band carried a ton of personality and profile. Most bands could never pull that off. Most bands would never have the strength of brand to pull off big changes like that. My favorite example would be ACDC. Like, you know, they were at what many people thought were their peak in 1979 when Bon Scott uh, in early, I think it was early 80 when Bon Scott died. But that was like, they had come off of Highway to Hell. They were, they were huge. And uh no one thought they could get bigger and and for you know bon scott passing was supposed to be the end of acdc and then along comes back in black like an absolutely landmark album in every way true to what acdc had always been up to that point with a new lead singer and you think about acdc as yeah brian johnson or bon scott but but angus was there through it all with an absolutely front and center personality and so they survived that transition. And then when, when Brian goes out of the band with, with hearing loss and Axl Rose comes in and replaces them on tour, they don't lose a beat. And then Brian comes back. I mean, ACDC has recorded the same song for 50 years over and over. You play guitar, right? They're like, like they're a three chord band. And I say that not as a criticism, but as an incredible compliment. Um, it takes a ton of ingenuity uh, and self-confidence to recreate the same thing a hundred different ways, a hundred different times with always, it's always that same thing, but it's always different enough to be cool and interesting again. And I, th I think the lesson in all that for a business is that need to be committed to delivering on the expectations of your customers and fans. If they come to you for something, you need to know what that is and you need to deliver on it time and time again, no matter who your lead vocalist is. In the case of most bands, losing their lead singers, if they're, if they're already world famous, is the end of the band. I mean, and it's funny when you reverse it, right? You take a band like Maroon 5 and, uh, you know, if Adam Levine leaves Maroon 5, no one cares because it's still... They're own, they don't have any other attributes besides him. Um, but ACDC and, and Motley Crue and uh, 
and and Van Van Halen, all bands that had much more going for them as brands, and uh, allows them to transition all that change so effectively. It's it's amazing. So I think the message might be. If you create like not so much something memorable, but you really connect, you know, relating this to an auto repair shop, right? Or or a local business owner. I mean, if you connect the really create something of value and you're really, and you're really committed to that. I mean, because you think about ACDC, you know, you think about Van Halen. I mean, Eddie Van Halen is, you know, I mean, uh, I've known a few people that have toured with Van Halen over the years, and um, I may have either heard this talking to them personally, or they said it on the radio. I can't remember which, you know, the, the difference between those conversations. But I remember uh, one of the guys in the band, Our Lady Peace, said that Eddie, I think it was Mike Turner, the guitar player back in the day, said that, I don't know if you've gotten to know Mike in Toronto at all, hanging out down here. I know of him. Yeah, yeah, that. and... and uh, Mike, you should hang out with Steve sometime. But Mike Turner, um, I remember him saying, I, th- I think it was on an interview, I don't know if he told me this personally, but they would tour with Van Halen and Eddie would be there every day at 1 p.m. till like 5 p.m. practicing. Like, And this was like the 90s. Like, And he would play yeah. every day and practice and get better. And there's something about, that's why Van Halen was able to go on. Their commitment to their craft, their mastery, you know, what, what they yeah. were as a product so they could replace this thing. But you talked about Maroon 5. I think the guys in that band are all pretty darn talented and everything. Oh, and maybe I, they absolutely. could do it. But are they, I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're the wrong example. Maybe they have this thing and we just don't notice it or whatever. But, but, but still, to your point, having that mastery, that really, you know, commitment to product uh, and, and service and everything you do, you can replace out people. The company will and can survive the loss of anyone, right? And yes. I mean, there's talk of touring without Eddie. And I, I think that they're looking at, just like the Tragically Hip in Canada without Gordon Downey, I talked to their manager at Canadian Music Week a few weeks ago, and I, a few years ago, and I told him, I said, you should get somebody and go do it. These are great songs. I mean, don't, he's like, yeah. we can never do that. I think that's bullshit. I think that you're a brand, the tragically hip. I mean, in Canada, nobody knows we're talking about in America. But anyway, tragically right. hip, and, ca- and that's the the part of the appeal of the tragically hip. I think they love that they were Canada only or whatever. But anyway, yeah. that appeal, that connection, that that mastery they created, and um, and then being able to change out some players. So I think I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Yeah, I, I, a strong brand, whether it's mastery like skill or whether it's mastery of a service, a feeling, uh, what your customers come to you for. If, if, if you've got the, the shop where people just inherently feel like they can trust you, and let's be honest, auto repair is one of those fields. It's, it's the average consumer knows almost nothing, you know? And here's an example. I have an import car. I have a, uh, so I bring it into a import repair place. And the guy calls me and tells me, yeah, you know what? You probably don't need this repair. I'm blown away because I bring it in thinking I'm in for a couple hundred bucks, thousand bucks, whatever, because I don't know what happens when you open the hood and you plug it into your computers and sensors and you tell me that the uh, flux capacitor is is uh, <laughs> on its last legs, whatever. I don't know cars. You know the magic. But when he calls me and says, you know, I don't think I need to do this $400 repair on your car. You're okay for six months. Now we have trust. And so if, if I come to you for that, for that trust, if your lead repair guy leaves and you have to get somebody new in, as long as you keep giving me that feeling that I'm, I can trust you, 
So uh, it, may, it may be trust, it may be mastery of skill, it may be speed and efficiency, it may be price, it could be anything. Whatever it is that you deliver, and for ACDC, it's rock and roll and fast cars, cold drinks, beautiful girls, loud music. That's all they sing about, right? They don't sing about, literally, like, find me an ACDC love song. They don't exist. Uh, find me an ACDC political song. They don't really exist because they're singular in focus. That means that when someone leaves and someone else new comes in, as long as they deliver on the promise, they can succeed. So when we're looking at a local business and and them as a brand, and we look at these these artists, I mean, you've been making these connections between the two for years. Um, you know, I, I guess that we're when we're talking about the ones that have sustained what were some of the elements that lead to sustaining in music that also can be comparable and i don't want to steal all your thunder from high gear here but what are some of the things that a local brand in branding because i talk about local brands all the time i mean you are one whether you realize it or not you're immediately a brand how are we developing that brand? I mean, what are, what are we doing to fortify it and strengthen yeah. it? So what are th- some of the core aspects that we can we can learn that, that some takeaways? Well, we'll, we'll talk about about all of these at, at, at high gear, but uh, not everyone, you know, obviously seeing and hearing this podcast will be able to attend. So I'm happy to share like, and there's a couple of points to get at one um, core values, businesses that are built on values almost always win versus businesses built on the value of profit. If you open your shop because you want to make a lot of money and retire rich, the odds are you'll probably go under. But if you open your shop because you believe that you have something, you have a gift, you have a skill, you have something to share with the world that matters, then I think your odds of success go way up. Um, Because business is built on, on the desire to make money compromise values quickly. So if I open my shop because I want to get rich and I realize really early uh, that screwing over consumers gets me rich, I'm not going to be around for long. People will figure that scam out real fast. Uh, But if I started this because I love knowing that people are safe, people are looked after, that I'm doing good work, um, it might take a little longer to get going. But once I get there, uh, those people will keep coming back to me because they believe in the same values I have. We share core values. I use Bob Marley as an example of core values. Bob Marley's a guy who should never have been famous. Like he didn't make he didn't make music that should have appealed to the average American or Canadian in the in the mid seventies, late seventies when he really was at his peak. He sang about Jamaican things, but he sang about things that mattered to him. And he never wavered on his core values. He never recorded a disco hit to make more money. He never, ever compromised his values. And up until his death, sang about being Rastafarian. I mean, what percentage of the world is Rastafarian? It's got to be a fraction of a fraction of a percent. But he sang about those things because they mattered to him. And if you bought into Bob Marley and what he sang about, they mattered to you. And so you build a tribe, you build a cult, you build a group of people who share your values. And now they're invested with you in the success of your business. So values would be number one. And then number two, I think is super important is to build an experience around what you do. We talk about customer service a lot. I think that that's all well and good. But to me, that feels very 1995. I think today customers are in it for the experience. 
and 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 to that point the late jimmy buffett who uh really got famous and rich off of one song right i mean buffett has a whole catalog of songs if you stopped 100 people on the street most of them could only quote margaritaville to you but he turned that song into a business empire he he died a billionaire because he realized that that song became an experience and that the Jimmy Buffett experience was Margaritaville and the restaurants, casinos, the publishing, the hotels, all of it was based on this idea that uh, the average accountant or the average auto repair guy can uh, fork over a hundred bucks and for a night live like a beach bum at a tiki bar searching for his lost shaker assault and and then go back to work the next day and live a normal life he gave us an experience he gave us an escape from reality so what experience do you give your consumers what experience do your fans come to you for all these things are sort of tied in together you know the consistency what do they come to you for the values what do they come to you for and the experience what do they come to you for they're all kind of tied together. And when you can build a business on all those platforms, you, it feels like you're unbeatable. And, and it's local, like you said. Uh, for examples, a lot of the time I talk about big international examples, but they don't need to be. Um, if you, you said it well. If, if, if you like it or dislike it, accept it or don't accept it, you are a brand. If you've opened a business and you've put up a sign says this is my business you're being judged you're being people are making decisions about you whether you like it or not and so the branding game becomes understanding that consumers are making decisions based on what they think about you you have a window to help frame what they think about you you can take that window and use it for good or you can ignore that window and let it work against you but no matter what you might think they are making branding decisions. And once they've made them, they're glaciers. They take forever to melt. That's great insight. I, I was thinking as you're talking about, you know, the connections between a repair shop and, and a music brand and, you know, everything from their parking lots to, you know, what the pavement looks like. If it's all broken up and potholes, you can't get where you're going or... Um, yeah. And then inside the waiting room, what your logo looks like, all those things, what you're dressed like when they come in, is your shirt ripped or something? You didn't think much of it because whoever mentioned that to you or who cares about your shirt being torn a little, what does your shop logo look like? All those things. Think about, you know, again, we're talking about, let's bring Motley Crue up again or, or Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett. I stayed in a Margaritaville resort in Key West a few months ago. And, you know, yeah. you can almost imagine what that sign looks like without actually even seeing it and that experience there and all those things, all of those pieces of that experience, um, you know, all these bands. And, and, and I've got to think that a lot of them aren't even they're just accidentally creating a lot of that. The images are what they want. I mean, that's probably the interesting part of the, the music aspect of branding because unlike companies where we get very contrived and consider these things, we sit around and talk about it and go, what color should this be? And let's borrow that orange yeah. from there and do this because it was already popular, blah, blah, blah. These guys are like, Nikki Six is like, I'm going to paint black lines under my eyes. I'm going to wear like all, you know, and, and look like, you know, a dumpster fire done right or something and we'll have a dress and have this hair and all this stuff. And then 
and then their personalities, everything, it all connects together to be something that we buy into. And that's essentially what a business needs to do too. And I talk about brand all the time. I'm so glad you're coming to our event because I can't talk about it that often, right? I mean, we're, you know, we have a lot of customers. We're mainly dealing with Google and digital and this sort of thing where we just can't get into brand as much, but you are a brand and these are ways you can influence it. And, and you said core values is a great way to put it. And I would hope that our auto repair shops that we deal with are thinking about core values and what's important, but um, but it's hard to say. And I want to talk about, actually ask you a question now. You've talked about these things, articulated them, and talked about things that I didn't know fully you were aware of in our relationship. You're talking deeply about business. So has this been a, a very rare case of a guy that knows music very well, extremely well, loves music, and then the business development. Is that just your business experience working for these major media companies? Is that where this collided? Because yeah. it's very rare, right? What you're delivering here, like how do you become music expert and business expert and then package it up and help my guys at their local auto repair shops? You follow me on this one? This is very Absolutely rare. Absolutely follow you. Yeah, it's two things for me. One was 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 recognizing how radio stations connected with listeners, right? Uh, some radio stations connect on a very deep level. Some personalities connect on a very deep level. Other ones don't. So, what's the difference? And how do these how do these things that that uh, could be like a utility, like a light switch? It's either on or it's off. And it's only I only care when it's off, when it doesn't work. Or is it something that I seek out that I want? You know, how do you make these radio stations connect? And then to look at the businesses that bought advertising on the radio and still do. How do some of them make it work so well and so effective and so efficient and other ones fall flat on their face? Uh, so it did take me down this path of observing both the music and the businesses at the same time and recognizing that there are incredible correlations between the two of them. You know, like um, so many businesses with their advertising, whether it's digital or, or traditional media, wherever they might advertise, they almost try not to get noticed. Like they try to look like everyone else. Real estate agents are the worst. And um, to those businesses, I, I, I bring up Kiss. Like I've talked to Gene Simmons about this. Gene Simmons is a master marketer. He is a better marketer than he is musician. Um, and he envisions Kiss as being like Cirque du Soleil. He'll be dead 50 years, and there will still be four guys on stage in makeup playing Kiss songs. Uh, because that's what Kiss is. It isn't him. It isn't Paul. It's, it's more than all that. Gene was a master marketer, and one of the things he realized was that he needed to get noticed. He needed to stand out. He needed to be different than every other band. And in, in the mid-70s, when KISS finally broke through, they did so by painting their face and spitting blood and breathing fire and scaring the shit out of old people. They knew that, that it didn't take 100% of the population liking them for them to become famous. In fact, it didn't even take 80%. If they could appeal to 5 or 10 or 15% of the population at a level where those 5 or 10 or 15% called themselves the KISS Army, they would become massively famous and successful. And with our, with our businesses and our shops, we're, we need to be brave enough to not look like everybody else, to stand out from the crowd 
and to be proud of what makes us different. But so many businesses get a complaint from someone and go, oh, well, we need to change that. We need to, we, and, and I'm not saying you don't want to listen to complaints. I mean, obviously, people who are upset have a reason to be upset. You need to listen to it. But if you compromise for every single person who doesn't like what you're doing or how you look or how you sound, um, there's one example in the auto in the auto world. There's a used car guy on on TikTok, and I don't know how well known he is, but he does these really provocative videos with the used cars where he just like complete. I, I wish I could remember the guy's handle, but he completely mocks every vehicle in front of him. Like, why would you buy this piece of crap? You know, his videos get millions of views. And I'm sure people go to him to buy vehicles because he's not afraid to stand out from everyone else around him. So if you're in an industry where everyone is playing in G and you decide to play in B sharp, you know, be a little different, stand out and be proud of what makes you different. Be like Kiss and tell the people who will never shop with you. If First of all, if someone comes to you and says, I'll never come to your auto repair shop because you charge a ton for what you do. And I know you use premium high quality parts and I know you specialize in vehicles that are hard to repair, but I could never pay that much. I'm shaking your hand and saying, thank you very much. You don't have to come here, but at least you recognize what I'm about and what I do. It's more important, or it's equally as important, to cut through as it is to necessarily be great at what you do. You need to stand out from everyone around you. And and KISS got that. And that's something that a lot of businesses struggle with. Steve, you do something that nobody, and you'll have to tell me your complete involvement in this before I give you too much credit for it, but you do something that uh, no, I mean, nobody we've had on the show and probably ever will again does, but you're part of, or you program what is like the number one radio station in Toronto, right? Which I joke is a very large American city. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah, it's huge. That's, yeah. But that's my joke is it's like, might as well be a, you know, just the yeah. city. Yeah, yeah, well, I can see Buffalo from my office, really. Yes. Um, but yeah, so boom, tell me. Well, the second three in Toronto is very successful radio station. What, what is, what is, the, is it called Boom or something like this? What's, yeah. And is that boom, the number one station in Toronto? It, you know, arguably, depending on the ratings period, it's one of the top radio stations in Toronto and all of Canada, and it does incredibly well for all the reasons I just talked about. And I don't want to take any credit for the day-to-day -day success of Boom. That's a There's a team at Boom that works incredibly hard to do everything they do every day, but they're not afraid to stand out. They're not afraid to do things differently. Uh, on the anniversary of Live Aid, like, they did an entire day as if it were July... 17th 1986 whatever the day of live aid was they took the radio station into a time machine and did that day uh on the day john lennon died and the anniversary of john lennon's death uh this is a radio station that dedicated the whole day to playing john lennon and, and beatles music this is a radio station that just stands out has core values isn't afraid to get noticed and and sometimes screws up because it decided to stand out but that's the price you pay when you want to be different and you want to get noticed. So that station is applying a lot of these philosophies because that's a big business. I mean, a major radio station and a major market and, and, and that fight. I mean, radio is still a viable platform in 2023. Yeah. A lot of people are advertising and it's still very competitive and it's challenging to stand out. And, and I mean, to be able to stand out like that is a tremendous challenge. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it is. It's 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 a struggle every single day to stand out and be different, and be unique, 
and do it in meaningful and positive ways. And uh, we, we work very hard every day to do that. And it's a, it's a lesson that can apply to absolutely any business in, in, in any sector. So you mentioned the John Lennon tribute, the Live Aid tribute, a couple other things. I mean, obviously you, you research, do market research. Um, wh- what are some other brand related things that, that your team there does to make this a monster radio station? The team is always looking for ways to throw curveballs at the audience. And uh, like, like a good example, on the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, uh, they replayed Dark Side of the Moon with all the audio of the moon landing, making it sound like it was happening in real time. This is like Orson Welles' War of the Worlds kind of stuff. You know, just have some fun and be interesting. There's, there's, there's a, and, and we talked about Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters a little bit already. Um, Dave Grohl's a master of that, a master of being interesting. Uh, whether it's having a drum battle with uh, the character from the Muppets, uh, doing a, a viral video a few weeks ago with Lionel Richie, where he was he was singing a Lionel Richie song, uh, and and you know doing crazy things like playing weird venues. And you mentioned seeing them in in a, in a Roman Colosseum. That was there's a there's a place called Pula, Puya Pula in Croatia, one of the most beautifully preserved Colosseums in all of the former Roman Empire. The Foos wanted to play there. It only held, holds 8,000 people. It's not a venue where they're going to make a ton of money playing it. But they did it because they want to be—they want to just have fun, stand out, be different, be, be unafraid. to. If you want people to remark about you, then be remarkable. If you want them to talk about you on social media or tell their friends about you, then do something worthy of their remarks, you know? You know, it's interesting that you say that. Um, years ago, I lived in Montreal, and in 1987, I got to see Guns N' Roses open for the cult, and I got up front and was high-fiving Axel, having no idea who he was back then, but I went home, I'm looking through my magazines, hit Parader, trying to find him in there, and did, but anyway, but the point is, he played at a place called Verdun Auditorium, or the Guns N' Roses and the cult. Nirvana yeah. played there in like 19, you know where I'm going with this, but played there in like 1992 or something like that, or 93 or whatever. Yeah. Dave Grohl, just a month ago, like Verdun Auditorium, I remember it being a hole in 1987. Like this was not a nice venue. And clearly about the place Nirvana would play at their size, whatever it was when it was of 6,000, 8,000 people, whatever. But Dave Grohl went, I don't know how this or why they did this, but he went back and he said, hey, where did Nirvana play at that place in the 90s? And they like had to like, what is it, decommission or recommission? They had like, like nobody played yeah. there in like 20 years. And, and here you and I are right now having that conversation, talking about it in the same point. And it was a media story and it did get out there. They played at Verdun Auditorium, like Google it. I was at, I was at the show. No, were you there? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't resist. Yeah, uh, how did you find out about story. it? I might have gone had I've known. I like, was it announced in advance or something? It was, I know it was announced like a week or two in advance. They didn't, they didn't give it a ton of lead up, and uh, tickets sold like in a flash because it's only, I think, it holds four thousand. Was it four thousand? So you it's were there. Yeah, yeah. They've done a nice job with the arena as a hockey arena, but as a concert venue, no one had played there in years. Yeah, and. It was fantastic seeing Dave Grohl in an, in an arena that small was really cool. And he does those things because they just want to do fun, interesting shit. And how many businesses don't do that? Do fun, interesting stuff. People will talk about it. Okay, we're going to leave on this one topic. 
and then I'll set you free because I'm sure you got a roll. But let's just quickly talk Taylor Swift, who I think is arguably having the greatest career in music history right now in front of us. I mean, I do, I, I'm not just saying that. I think this is outdoing Michael Jackson and anybody we can think of. I think this yeah. is staggering what she's pulling off. And she is hands down a business genius. All the decisions she make, it make is making these days. And I mean, all the things you're talking about, like somebody wronged her and she went, no, I'm going to, I'm I, no, it doesn't go that way. That's not how this script goes. I'm going to define the narrative and it goes this way. I mean, all the things she's yeah. doing and I saw, I've seen her recently. I mean, I, I've been to concerts afterwards and it's like, I mean, I'm not sure if you seen saw the recent show, her stage, her backdrop, every. I mean, it's like anything else you go to now. It's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, poor she, next she, concert, you know? She's incredible. Her whole team. Uh, one of the things I like to tell people is like, try look up Taylor Swift's management. They're invisible. 13 Management is a real company, but they are there for Taylor, not for themselves. Everyone on Taylor's team knows the mission. And everyone is fully aligned. Uh, the last time I saw Taylor Swift, uh, and I'll share this story in deeper detail at, at High Gear, but the uh, her her management company asked me to provide photo ID for all uh, for me and for my guest. And my guest was my 16 year old niece. So I sent photo IDs in. And when I was at the show, I said to uh, Frank on her management team, "Wow, you guys have some super tight security, like photo ID in advance. That never happens." And he said, that's not security. Taylor sees those the night before and studies them so that she can call her fans by their first name. This is the biggest star on the planet. She does not need to do that. She doesn't even need to do a backstage meet and greet. But Taylor genuinely is committed to building her fan base if it means doing it one person at a time. She is hardcore committed to the mission. And... Uh, She's a fantastic study. I think you're right. This 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 eclipses the Beatles, Michael Jackson. What she's doing right now, you're witnessing music history for sure. I mean, the amount of people, you know, it's 200 plus thousand in every town she goes to. You can't get yeah. a ticket. She's rewriting the, the rules on how you buy tickets. I mean, just every little every piece of it is, and it's, it's, gen I mean, I saw her and, and it was my, my 11 year old daughter, like, I, who really is a fan, I guess I haven't been paying close enough attention, got us to go. And I mean, I just, I was, I was, I became a fan after, like I've been listening to her music as a legitimate contender to all those other badasses, ACDC, everybody else. Yep. She legitimately, like, I mean, she dated John Mayer. He did her wrong. She wrote a song, Dear John, where she basically explained the night. Yeah, every, I mean, like hardcore, every, man. Who cares if you're John yeah. Mayer? You broke my heart. I don't, it could be Joe Blow. She'd write, I mean, it's real real stuff and real i think to your point real and then also the knowing everybody that's coming i mean i think if there's a i mean we've had 50 lessons from steve today but if there's a takeaway lesson like that extra layer of going you know i don't have to do this but these are people they're all showing up they care about me and i i'm and this is a big deal i'm gonna care yep. about them knowing their names i mean I don't, I mean, if we really called, you know, called a spade a spade, dug into this right now, I bet no one's ever done that. I bet that's never happened in history where somebody's done that crap in advance so they could know who was coming. You get what I'm saying? Not in my, I've never seen it and certainly never at that level. And just to that point before we go about, about, about making each experience, and it's really a lesson in customer service, right? Each experience is the only experience that matters for the customer. 
Springsteen's road manager has this technique when it, whenever somebody's become complacent or there's somebody new on the team and the team at Springsteen is a, it's a big team. He'll take them backstage behind Max Weinberg's drum kit during the show. And they'll look out over 50,000 fans and he'll say to the, to the person who's been complacent for us, this is show 72 of 150. But for these 50,000 people, it is show one of one. There's somebody here tonight who spent thousands of dollars to travel across the country. There's somebody here tonight who will meet the love of their life tonight. There's somebody here tonight who's dying terminal, Good and this Lord. is the last time they'll see their idol. This is the only show that matters, and you don't get to be complacent. Wow. Take that attitude into customer service, and you can't lose. Dude, that is the deal right there. I mean, that is what I want our just leads near me shops, by the way, all the others. No, I'm joking. I'm kidding. Now that is the <laughs> message that, uh, again, way beyond auto repair, but I mean, that is my hope for shops that they hear things like that, because that's the differentiator. That's what I've been trying to communicate in many ways. And you just did so succinctly pointing out, I mean, you know, they've traveled, this could be somebody that has serious health matters, that this is it for them. And, and this is this special is for them. We owe this to them. And, and we all as business owners and business leaders owe this to everybody every day. So uh, Steve, yeah. are you seeing any Montreal Canadian games or have you given up on them finally? Have we finally decided oh, I, it's never? I, I, they're still my favorite team in the Eastern Conference and then the Edmonton Oilers in the West. So okay. I, I'll try get to I'll try get to a Montreal Edmonton game for the maximum. Okay, fun. being a guy that lived in Montreal the year I got to hold the cup and hang with the cup the year they won it in '93. Man, I mean I was there. I mean like, the like last year Canadian team won the cup. Yeah, I was there, man, and uh, um, but the, but um, so I've got to root for Montreal a little bit, and I will do my best. I promise. Although I am a Leaf fan, by the way, that's an old Winnipeg thing for me, but. But then the other thing, you're a goalie. We playing some hockey still. I am still playing, despite my 53 year old knees, still trying to get out once a week or so. Yeah. Well, I was going to say how excited I am to be part of High Gear. Can't wait to see you in a few weeks, and uh, very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you for being a part of it. It's great catching up like this. Uh, amazing insights. I'm. Um, I need to do this with you more often. Holy crap! This is good stuff. Thrilled to be part of it, man. Thrilled. And uh, thank you very much. And uh, great having you on the show today. Steve Jones will be a speaker at the High Gear Auto Repair Marketing Conference. And Steve, thank you for being here with us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. The tech shortage problem is not going to solve itself. That's why it will take organizations like APAC ATI to emerge with solutions that will bring relief for shop owners. APAC ATI is a nonprofit organization that helps veterans, the recovery community, formerly incarcerated persons, and those who need a second chance and a shot at their dream career as a skilled automotive technician. They offer no-cost training and a hand up for anyone willing to do the hard work it takes to learn to repair every vehicle the right way. APAC ATI, educating and empowering skilled labor and making a difference. Learn more about the program or sponsor a new student at APACATI.org. That's A-P-A-C-A-T-I dot org.